kids. Whose kid is that being all loud and sing-songy in there? That's a familiar voice. I think I've heard it once or twice in the middle of the night. This is it. We made it. Eight months, 13 chapters. We've got five verses to go. We've had one major theme through the whole thing. Can anybody raise a hand and tell me what that theme has been? Jesus is better. And we're not going to miss out on getting to say that again as we read today. We're not going to lose sight of that. We are going to go back next week and kind of take a look back through the whole book um, and kind of summarize what it is that we've learned over the last eight months or so. Um, Kind of try to collect it into some thoughts that we can kind of apply mainly to our church specifically, like why have we studied this book, what have we learned from studying this book, that sort of thing. Um, But today we're really just going to read through kind of his concluding blessing and sign-off, which if you've read New Testament epistles, some of this wording will sound very familiar because this is kind of the traditional way that you would sign off on a letter. You you would give a blessing to the people that you've been writing to. You would maybe send a few few last-minute greetings, maybe a couple little notes and you'll see that today. Um, some, of these, some of these phrases that are in here are phrases that are used over and over and over and over throughout the New Testament in particular. Um, whenever you read Paul's epistles, um, he uses very similar wording as, we, as he signs off on his letters. So let's just go ahead and jump in here to Hebrews chapter 13. Let's read these last few verses, get a little closure on this book. All right? Here we go. Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to pick up in verse number 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Pause for a second and let that sink in. (laughs) For I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. All right, let's just go ahead and start. We're going to start at the end. We're going to start at that last little final greeting area, and then we'll loop back up, because the meat of what I want to talk about today is in those first couple of verses. So verse 22. Um, so again, he's throughout this book, he's been, he says, I've been exhorting you, right? Bear with my word of exhortation, for which I've written to you briefly. So he's been trying to encourage the church to do something, right? So this whole book has been in an attempt to cause the church to change, to cause the church to grow, to cause the church to look more like the way Christ intended for the church to look. right? So he's been exhorting them the whole way, and part of the way he's been telling them to go about becoming more like Christ is to exhort one another. right? He's been saying, you have to build each other, you have to encourage each other to stay in the faith, to endure, to fight through tough times, to obey the will of God. You have to, you have to encourage one another in this sort of thing. So he's kind of living out the commands that he's been giving so far. He's kind of giving them a real example. He's saying, I've been telling you guys to encourage one another to to pursue Jesus more than anything else. 
But now, I've been telling you to encourage one another, now I'm going to encourage you one more time. To show you, again, that I believe these things that I am teaching you, the things that I'm saying you ought to be doing, encouraging one another, I'm going to do that for you now. I want you to do this. You guys can do this. You guys can live this out. So here he's kind of modeling the example. He, he's kind of setting the example that he's been giving them all along. I want you guys to have each other's backs. I want you guys to pursue one another when you fall away. I want you guys to encourage one another to live out these words that I have written to you thus far. And again, he's going to do that for them right here. And then we get to verses 23 through 25. So you should know that our brother Timothy's been released. Yeah, that's probably the Timothy that we're all thinking of. Um, There's a bunch of different little historical tidbits in here that are kind of mentioned briefly. Not quite enough detail that people feel confident they know exactly who it is that's writing the book. Right? That's been one of the things that we talked about really early on. Like, we don't know exactly who writes this book. It could have been Paul. It could have been somebody else. We would assume now that it's not Timothy. We can probably write him off the list since he's referring to him in the third person, right? Um, but he gives us a little glimpse of what's going on in the real world so we can kind of time stamp where this was written, when this happened, what all was going on, but not really with enough clarity that we're like super confident. Oh, obviously this is the person who wrote this book, and this is when they wrote it, and this is why they wrote it, that sort of thing. Um, so we get a little bit of context, but nothing super specific. Um, but again, I want to point out verse 24. So he's just come off this discussion. We talked about this last week, this discussion of honoring your leaders, submitting to your leaders, um, trusting your leaders, becoming more like your leaders, looking to your leaders. And again, he's going to remind them once again, because he can't help but make a point twice, right? If we've noticed anything throughout this book, it's that he makes the same point over and over. He kind of comes back and doubles it. So he added this leadership piece right at the end, yet he's still going to get to it one more time. Before I go, make sure you think of your leaders. Greet your leaders for me. So yeah, it is probably just a, hey, say hi to the guys. I haven't seen him in a while. I hope I get to see him soon. There's probably an element of that. But at the same time, where he's coming off this long discussion of keep your leadership, your church leaders, in the back of your mind, even in the front of your mind. You know, actively look to them as an example for how you should live your life. So again, he's saying, have them in your brain. Think about your leaders. Because I am thinking about your leaders. You also should think about your leaders. And then he signs off, grace be with all of you. Which is, again, a very common way of saying, I'll talk to you guys later. Right? We've see, we see that same phrase throughout the New Testament. Grace be with all of you. But, it's verses 20 and 21 that I really want to focus on today. These are the verses that I think kind of provide the meat of what he's trying to close out this book with. Um, So he starts with, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Let's look at that name, God of peace. That that, that phrase, again, used in a lot of letter sign-offs, a lot of epistle sign-offs. You'll see Paul use that several times. I was looking at my cross-references as I was putting this together, and it gave me like, Four, five, six different places with this exact phrase. Now, may the God of peace um, is being used to kind of close out a thought, kind of trying to leave you with one more thought, thinking about who God is. And, I, and, and, and we could just leave it at that. We could just think, oh, so he's calling him the God of peace, and that's just the title that you use when you're signing off a letter. But I think 
It's a noteworthy name, and it's something that we should take a second to think about. Because if you're calling him the God of peace, and you've got to think back to what he's been talking about here in Hebrews. He's been describing this world that we live in, right, as a world that's shaken. A world that everything can be shaken and thrown away, and, and, and everything's going to die off and disappear, except for God's city. The city that Jesus has been building, right? The city that we are, the city that we are supposed to be looking to. Right, the city that we are supposed to be seeking out. That's the city that we are going to put our trust in. We're not going to worry about the city that we find ourselves in now. We're not going to be defined by this place that we're in now because this place can easily be shaken. This place can go away. And when you think about that, that is a, that is a tumultuous thought. That is, a, that is an unnerving thought to think that we live in a world that is so easily shaken. So how cool is it that he, again, grounds us back to now may the God of peace, the God who, the God who makes all of this chaos make sense, the God who, 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 who makes everything right, the God who sets everything in its place and it's not going to be shaken, the God who gives us stability, the God that we can, that we can hold on to and trust in, that's the God that he's talking about. This is the God of consistency. We talked about that last week. This is the God who's constant. This is the one who we can trust. This is the one who is not going to fail us. That is the God who he's been speaking of this whole time. And I don't think that that phrase, God of peace, should be overlooked. It shouldn't just be, that's another name for God. We shouldn't just read that and move on. We should say, what does that mean? That means he's the God that we can hold on to when everything else is crumbling around us. He's the God who we can ultimately put our faith in in any instance, and he is going to prove himself time and time again to be faithful. So he says, now may the God of peace, that God, this God that I've been telling you to hold on to this whole time, amidst a world of chaos, that God, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Now, he's talked a lot about Christ's sacrifice throughout this book, right? We've talked about comparing the old priestly system to Jesus' sacrifice. Now, Jesus' sacrifice was better, and it was more complete, and it actually accomplished taking away our sin entirely, not just kind of covering it up, not just kind of getting us, getting us through the next year. It wasn't that sort of thing. It was a complete sort of sacrifice. So we've talked a lot about Christ's sacrifice. We've talked a lot about his death. We haven't made a lot of mention of Christ's resurrection, really until right here. He's going to make a lot of Jesus' resurrection. And we have to remember, because it's almost like he couldn't help but make sure to mention this one time. Before I sign off, I have to make sure I mention that, that our God brought Jesus back, back from the dead. You realize this, right? Like, like this is the one who, it's not just that he was sacrificed and then like, like the sacrifices that we were studying, um, I think last week, were taken outside of the city and burned. It's not like they were just, he was just destroyed and that was the end. He paid the price and it's done. This is the same Jesus who then God raised back from the dead. And now, again, thinking of him as the constant stability that can be in our life, we hold on to him, right? Hold on to that Jesus. He is actually alive. It's not that he just died and then was gone. We have not only a trustworthy, constant God, but we have a trustworthy, constant Savior, Jesus, who didn't just die, but died and then was raised back to life. So that we can know that he is actively, actively working on our behalf. So when he goes back and talks about the, the, the high priesthood of Jesus, when we talk about that aspect of his ministry, 
and how he's, he's communicating to God on our behalf. And he's welcoming us into his presence to actually talk to him. He's reminding us, this isn't just that God that died and then disappeared. He's actually doing this even now because this is the same God, this is the same Jesus who died but was raised back to life. We can't miss that. So we have, we have a stable God. We have stability. We have a God of peace who's giving us something firm to hold on to. And we have a living Jesus who did not just die and go away. We have a Jesus who, who faithfully answers every promise He makes because He is living and He is active and He is working. He is not gone. He, is not, he has not disappeared. He's actively fulfilling His promises. So may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. This is, this is one of those, again, we think about Jesus, and we think about that title, like, yep, that's another name for him, let's move on. But why does he here choose to call him the shepherd of the sheep? Have we heard that phrase before? I mean, we've heard him described as a shepherd before, right? First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So when we think about Jesus' role as a shepherd, it fits so perfectly into this idea of we live in a chaotic world that is crumbling and shaken and falling away. We live amidst chaos, and yet we have a God of peace who, as our shepherd, brings us together, gives us some stability, right? We were, we were just off on our own, doing whatever we wanted, right? Because remember, when you think of sheep, what do you think of first? Sheep are stupid. Kids are in the nursery, I can say. I just, I was like, oh wait, David, don't learn that. Sheep, sheep are unintelligent. They're off wandering, and, and, and there's chaos. Um, okay, personal testimony time. Most of you know this about me now, but I will tell it anyways, again. So, when I was in high school, my parents wanted llamas. Um, makes perfect sense. Right? Who, who, who wouldn't want llamas? So we had, at one point, I think the most we ever had was like eight or nine. We had a bunch at one point. We, it, it, they came and went, you know, it is what it is. But, but we had llamas, and okay, and, and, and here's the cool thing about llamas. When you have llamas, you don't have to mow as much because llamas will, will take care of that grass. Um, so we wanted, we, we would put them out in the front yard. We'd like tie them up to like stakes like you would a dog out in the front yard. This is, this is truth. Okay. You don't believe this? I have pictures. This is, this is real life. This is real life. So we had llamas and, and they, were in, they were fenced in in the backyard and all that. That was awesome. But sometimes you'd want to tie them out in the front yard so that they could have some fresher grass and so that you wouldn't have to mow that sort of thing. But but to tie the llamas outside meant that you had to first catch the llamas. And the llamas didn't like to be caught. So you'd try to like, you'd like try to trick them, 
into like walking all into into the barn together. You like throw snacks at them and that sort of thing, hoping they would kind of come in. But ultimately, it really took like two, three, four people all standing way back, kind of spread out with their arms real wide, slowly walking and chasing llamas until we could kind of get them into the barn, right? Outside of the barn, utter chaos, right? Because you'd always have that one, that one, the mean one, who would always just either take off running or take off running right at you. Didn't like that. Did not like that llama. But where was I going with that? Oh, that's right. Shepherds. We're talking about utter chaos. They're all out there. But when you finally get them brought in together, you bring them into the barn, you close the gate, they, su- they get super calm. It's like, we're here. There's nowhere for us to go. We have some sort of stability. It's no longer this stressful event where we're running from. Because there's nowhere for them to run. They're like, we now are inside this shelter. I don't know if it's that they felt safe or what, but they had... They had actual structure around them. You'd get a, you'd get a rope on them. You'd t- they, wouldn't, they wouldn't freak out at that point because you had taken them from this, we can run wherever we want to, so we're going to, and we're going to like run into things and such. But when the shepherd, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself in the role of shepherd. I was a tiny shepherd at the time. But when the shepherd would get them kind of all gathered together, and provide them a little bit of stability. The chaos kind of died out. And that's what Jesus' um, role as shepherd is. We were all like sheep, wandering, running. We were the crazy llamas, running around the open fields. That Jesus has now gathered together and given us some stability, given us some order, given us some purpose, right? Given us a specific thing to do so we're not just kind of wandering around all on our own. That's what his role is. Because we were, we were off in our sins. And we have now been brought together. We've now been given a purpose. We are the church. We have a reason for being. We have a reason for being together. And that's what our shepherd Jesus is doing. The great shepherd of the sheep. So when we talk, of, and again, because we, we keep, he keeps talking about the idea of a chaotic world in which we live. Being, and we're looking toward a more peaceful, permanent city the better city that we're looking toward. That's what our shepherd is bringing us into. He's kind of bringing us all together. He's bringing this flock together, his people. And he's providing stability. He's providing safety. He's providing structure. He's providing purpose. Because we don't have purpose outside of Jesus. We think we have purpose. But our purpose is just to make myself look good, to make myself feel good. But that's not really purpose. We don't have something that we're trying to accomplish. It's basically... Get through the day being more comfortable today than it was yesterday. That's not a purpose. That's just killing time. Jesus provides us our structure. Jesus provides us our purpose. So I think that, that that picture of him as the great shepherd of the sheep is very fitting as he's tying off the idea behind what he's been talking about for the last several chapters here. So the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, our living, active Jesus... <coughs> the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. That eternal covenant he's talked about. It's it's been a while since we really talked about the covenant, the new covenant that Jesus brought in, because that was more like chapters like 7 and 8 back back several months ago. Uh, I mean, you'll remember when we were reading about Melchizedek 
and the priesthood of Melchizedek that Jesus is under. Um, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. He says, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Right? The, the old way in which we communed with God has passed away because Jesus has actually welcomed us into communication with Him personally. We don't need a priest. We have a priest. Jesus is now our priest. And it's by His blood that this covenant, this, this bringing together of two parties who have no reason to be together, is accomplished. So, so He's reminding us, that God... The God of peace, the God of peace in the midst of chaos, who, who raised Jesus from the dead so that he's actually living, he's actually faithful to fulfill all the promises he makes, who, who takes us when we're wandering and brings us back together as our shepherd by his blood, by that new covenant that he instated, that Jesus is going to equip us, verse 21, with every, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Okay. So what was the purpose of enacting this new covenant? To bring us together and to equip us to accomplish His will. To equip us to accomplish His will. Our relation... Okay, I'm going to say this and then I'm going to clarify it. So it's going to... I don't know. We'll see. Our covenant relationship with Jesus isn't for us. It's for Him. It definitely benefits us. I'm not trying to say there is not. We are not blessed by our relationship with Jesus. But ultimately, we are saved. We are brought into the family that Jesus is building. We are brought into the church to do something for Him. To bring Him glory. To serve Him. To know His will and accomplish it in this world. There are pastors out there who will say, we are saved, but it's not for him, it's for you. It's so that you'll be happy, so that you'll be healthy, so that you'll feel accomplished. When, when you do the will of God, you're not doing the will of God for God, you're doing the will of God for you. Because you know that if you do the will of God, he's going to bless you. So that's why, we, that's why we obey what the Bible says, it's because it's for us. The Bible's for us. The blessings are for us. Salvation is for us. It's just for us. It's to make us feel good. I don't know how they say that after they read this. Equip you with everything good that you may do His will. Working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. He's working in us that we might accomplish things for Him. He entered into covenant relationship with us. Yes, that we may be saved, but that we may be that way that we may be saved so that he may be praised, so that he may be known, so that we might become his people who are taking him to the rest of the world. We aren't saved and then we sit down and get cozy. We've talked about this. We are saved to do something. We are saved for him. We can't take salvation and make it all about us and all about making us feel, feel good and making us happier or making us healthier. or make because, because as soon as you make the gospel and salvation about me being happy and healthy, what happens when I get sick and sad? 
I've now said that that salvation did not accomplish what it was supposed to accomplish. And I, and I start to make little of the work that Jesus did. And that's not the point of salvation. We are saved so that He can equip us to serve Him. So He's going to equip us. Okay, so you may be thinking, but when we're saved, we don't want to do the thing. We're being changed because we don't want to serve Him. We want to do things for us. And, and I'm sure that several of us, when we were first saved or were young in our faith, we were getting saved with the intent that it was to save us from hell. Right? Right? That, that's kind of the mindset. It's like, I don't want judgment, so I'm going to take Jesus. And I think He takes people who have that mindset, but over time He's going to change us. Right, We're going to realize that we weren't saved just to get out of hell. That's not the point of our salvation. And I think that's where that word equip comes in handy. Because he's saying, he's going to make you understand that you were saved for him. To do something for him. Not to just sit still. Not to just sit in place and do nothing. Not to accomplish anything with your life. So he's saying, that Jesus is going to equip you. Like, like you, you don't fully understand what you've gotten yourself into when you are first added to the church. You don't know. Because, because you've not experienced Jesus, you've not read this book with the Holy Spirit guiding you, you don't understand what this means for you. But don't worry, He's going to equip you. He's going to give you understanding of what it is you're supposed to do. He's going to give you a heart that wants to serve Him. That's the coolest part, because, because for those of us who are naturally lazy, that's me. He's going to give us hearts that desire to do something beyond our laziness. He's going to give us a reason. He's going to give us a purpose to get up and go. Get up and do something and not complain and not say, I'd rather just hit the snooze button and go back to sleep. We aren't saved to just go back to bed, right? We're saved to do something. And though many of us, myself included, naturally run from the idea of doing more work, he's going to give us a heart that desires to do something. Hopefully, the longer that we are all studying this book together and we are all living out our lives as the church, our hearts are going to change to be more that way. Because none of us, I think, are perfectly there yet. None of us. I think there's always more heart change, more life change, more action change in our lives that needs to take place. And maybe that's something that we should all be praying about. Um, maybe in community groups we should pray for that. Maybe, maybe when we're hanging out Throughout the week, we should be praying about that. You know, praying, God, give us hearts that want to serve you. Because it says that he's going to do that. And we've already talked about that he is faithful to fulfill any promise he makes. And he's making the promise that he's going to equip us to accomplish anything that's a part of his will. So, he will accomplish his will. And he will accomplish his will through us. Because he's going to make us able to do whatever tasks it is that he, he desires. The things that he wants to have done in the world. So he will equip us with everything good that we may do as well, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, he's going to give us a heart that wants the things he wants. We don't, we tend to want stuff, for, and this is a perfect, this is a perfect time of year for us to think about this, right? Because there's lots, there's lots of wanting 
because there's lots of good sales and there's lots of good things out there that you're like, oh man, I get this, or oh, I could use this extra thing here. That's where, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you should always run from that sort of thing because that's not the point that he's trying to make here. But I think the thing that we need to realize, especially when we go back to this idea that that salvation isn't for us, salvation is so that we can do something for him. Right? So we think, we think, what am I going to get this time of year? This we have to realize that Jesus is our real gift. Right? We have to value Jesus, right? Because Jesus is better. We're going to go back to that big thought. Jesus is better than anything we might get in the next week. Jesus is better than any, anything that we could buy for ourselves or anything that somebody else could get. Because we, we're, we're always thinking of... So we go back and forth between thinking about giving and receiving. A lot of times, when I was a kid, I was real bad about this. Like, I can't wait to give somebody this, knowing that they were going to give me something back. Usually they would give me something back nicer than what I gave them. It's a horrible admission, I know. But that, that was me as a kid. It's like, oh, I will, I will draw them a card. You know, I'll, I'll make, I'll give them, well, I'm sure I've done this more than once. I'll make them a coupon book for, for hugs. Right? We've all done something like that, right? And how much did you spend on that? Well, I used my mom's paper to make that. So, so I didn't spend anything. And then they're still going to give me a present. All right, this works out. This balances. We get so excited about the things that we get that are of this world, right? We get so excited about a new TV or a new Xbox One or I don't know. Whatever it is that we may be getting. And we get excited. And we can enjoy those things. It's okay. But, if we don't value Jesus as higher than that, if we don't see Jesus as our real gift, then we're putting our hope again in the things of this world, the things that are going to be shaken, the things that are going to go away. And what is that going to leave us with? What will we have accomplished? Nothing. Because we weren't focused on Jesus and accomplishing His will and knowing that He's going to equip us to accomplish His will. Right? So that being said, with this being the week of Christmas, I didn't want us to miss the opportunity to think about Jesus as our real gift. Right? So here's what we're going to do. Turn to John chapter 1. I was reading through all these different, all the different accounts of Jesus coming to earth. And then I was reading this one. And this one is not the one that we would traditionally read at Christmas because it doesn't really do the whole manger scene thing. But this kind of talks about, I kind of think this is like the view behind the scenes of what it was like when Jesus, Jesus came. But when I was reading through here, there's a lot that really ties into what we've read through Hebrews. Um, so I'm just going to read John chapter 1. We're going to do verses 1 through 18. And as I read about Christ coming since we're celebrating that this week I want you to reflect on the goodness of his willingness to come um, and, ju and just think about that and I'm going to read this and then I'm going to be done I don't have a lot today I'm going to be done we're going to read this we're going to pray and then we're going to celebrate Jesus because because he is ultimately our real gift and, I, and if we don't celebrate that gift this week then we've missed it so let's read this. John chapter 1. I love this passage. This is so good. 
In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was sent a man from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So he's saying, John was good, Jesus is better. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. I'm going to just pray. God, I just want to thank you for Jesus. And I just want to pray that we would be amazed by him. That we would be amazed at the thought that the God who was present at creation had everything chose to come and live in this world, this broken world, this shaken world that's going to fall away and die. God, I pray that we would be amazed at that gift. That that would be what ultimately is what is satisfying to us. That we don't, we don't need anything else. We don't need stuff or health or comfort or say we don't need those things because because Jesus Jesus is here and Jesus has brought us together and Jesus has provided us with stability Jesus is our comfort so God I just pray that you would make Jesus real in our hearts give us hearts that love and desire to serve you God, you said, you said that you will equip us to accomplish your will. So God, I pray that you would reveal your will for us. You would tell us what it is that you would have us do. And that you would give us the desire and the ability to see it done. And God, I pray that you would do unimaginable things through the small group of people that's Christ Reconciled Church. That 
that we would accomplish something that we would know was not accomplished on our own. Because it's you working out your will through us. So, so do something beyond what we could take credit for. Do something so big that all we can do is point right back to you and say, if not for the grace of God, we would not be here where we are. God, empower our worship. Equip us now to worship you passionately. God, we're few this morning. And I want to pray for those of us who are all over the place. They're at home. They're with their family. I just pray that you would... Wherever we are, I pray that you would cause us to be a light for you. That you would cause us to make you look good. Wherever we are. But God, we're small here today, but that does not mean that we can't worship powerfully and passionately. So I pray that you would equip our time as we're singing. Equip our giving. Equip our taking communion and remembering your son. Help us to magnify him this morning. It's in his name. Amen. All right.